Hello everyone, I'm Stephen Crafty and this is Talking Design. Today I'll be sharing with you my 2013 episode with Joe Saba. Founder of Saba, Joe brought Japanese fashion to Australia in the early 1980s. He's still very involved with consulting and I think you'll enjoy this uh, intriguing uh, interview I did with Joe a few years ago. Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm with someone who I've been trying to get on the show for some time now, but um, there's been a number of reasons why and he's always been busy and other things have cropped up, but he's really um, a legendary figure in the area of fashion and everyone knows his name and it's Joe Saba. So welcome to the show, Joe. Uh, thank you very much, Stephen. It's good to be here. <laughs> Joe, just to, um, people know Saba stores now, but that's a very different product to when Joe Saba first opened his doors in Flinders mm. Lane in Melbourne, offering denim. Different time completely, 1972? Well, uh, 19, actually, it was 1969. That I'm sorry, <laughs> I haven't done my research. <laughs> no, no, that, um, uh, that was our first try at, uh, you know, at denim. Yeah, it was our own design, or my own design. Before we even get to the opening of that shop, mm. why denim, and where had you come from before that? Well, um, as a kid, I grew, uh, you know, part of my growing up time was in Ballarat. And uh, there is a photograph of me at about uh, 12, 13, mm. in a pair of Levi's jeans rolled up in Ballarat, <laughs> which um, uh, very Statement. unusual, very unusual. <laughs> so I've always had an interest in, you know, I mean, it's, I, I didn't know what I was buying back when I was 12 or 13. I didn't know, you know, what I was buying when I bought the jean, bought that jean. Well, my mother bought it. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, so... I've always had, you know, great interest in in the fabric. I've, uh, I've sort of know its roots and where it's come from and how the fabric evolved. And um, I'm uh, I'm very interested in fabric. I mean, that's where I my main interest is. Your parents owned a mill in Ballarat, was that right? Well, my grandfather had a mill in Ballarat, a woolen mill, mm -hmm. and uh, my grandfather was in menswear. And my uncle, my grandfather's brother, mm. uh, still today, there's Walter Davis Frock Shop mm -hmm. still in Ballarat and still exists, though not owned by the family. Mm -hmm. So it was a time probably in the mid-60s. Were you looking at the mid-60s when you were growing up in Ballarat? No. Or, uh, no, no, no. Um, well, you know, it was Ballarat and Geelong. I moved to Geelong in 55. So uh, my mother was born in Ballarat. Right. Mm. So, um, so how did the first denim store start? Well, um, with the interest that I had, mm. and um, but prior to that, I started to buy uh, uh, for my two menswear stores, one in Flinders Lane and one in Elizabeth Street. I started to buy some Levi's, some Lees, some mm. Wranglers, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and Keith and I put a window in of denim, and 
you know, like cowboy wear, which mm-hmm. was, yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> what jeans were. Yeah. In that, and I put a window in of uh, of that and some western shirts and jackets into my menswear store, and Keith Dunstan walked past, and that would have been in about sixty seven or sixty eight. And for people like Keith Dunstan, uh, Keith Dunstan, yeah, who, who's for people who don't know Keith Dunstan. Uh, the journalist for oh, right. the for the uh, for the uh, the Herald at that time, right. or the Sun, right. the Sun. Right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and uh, and um, he said, "What's this menswear store doing with denim in? You know, and cowboy wear." So he came and he did, you know, he yeah. did, you know, took a photograph or he got a photograph taken, and um, so I've always had that interest. Um, you know, uh, uh, used to go to uh, Sydney to buy Lees mm. from the from the shonky <laughs> wharfy that uh, used to bring Lees into the country. Right. Yeah, you know, and and you know, it was uh, uh, denim in those days was only sold by disposal stores. Yeah, basically. I mean, I think people don't realise. You know, probably the mid to late sixties. It was still very formative years. Yeah, you know, people wear gabardine. Slacks, oh, or yeah. you know, yeah. and jeans were considered, you know, something you'd wear around the garden if you yeah. had to wear it. Yeah. So you were turning into a fashion statement. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, and and then came that um, you know latter in the sixties and sixty nine when I you know produced my first jean that you know there was this youth culture, this music culture, and yeah. and rock and roll culture and everything, and it exploded. Late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, 70s. early seventies. It was the, you know, that's when you know we uh, the first gene I made wasn't called Staggers, and I labelled Staggers, and that's when, you know, um, was the label a reaction to the overwhelming reaction? Uh, yes. So you yeah. were staggered. Yeah. <laughs> or just is it just well, uh, uh, or yeah, Western connotations? Well, it came from that I wanted the you know when I opened my first store in Flinders Lane in '65, it was called the Stag Shop because okay. I was into that traditional menswear, you know, like that American, you know, with uh, you know wood carved uh, counters and all. It's quite new. I still remember going to the shop. Timber floors. I mean, yeah. all this sounds very. You know, um, quite you know, common now. But yeah. I still remember the store stacked with jeans. Yeah. I mean, there were thousands of different styles. Yeah. Timber floors piled yeah. up to the rafters. Yeah. Really novel. Yeah. I mean, it was just extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I mean, were you were you ex- surprised by the reaction? Or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I I, I didn't think that it, it, in any way that it it would explode the way it did, but it just grew, you know, um, to the point where, you know, they were being manufactured in Adelaide, where, um, uh, you know, we went to, you know, because I was buying a few shirts from R.M. Williams as well, and and I went over to Adelaide, and um, they uh, sort of manufactured, in fact, they manufactured the first staggers, R.M. Williams. Joe, what type of turnover were you, were you, was coming out of the one shop? Can you remember how many oh. jeans you were selling a week? Well, I, I had two. To... No, no. Yeah. I, um, 
it was around about um, look it started off that I made I made 500 pairs <laughs> of this one style you thought and, what am I going to do uh, my wife just about divorced me <laughs> and they were supposed to arrive in uh, in December and they were late in coming in they came in in January, when there was, you know... Everyone's on the, holidays. Everybody was on holidays. There was no retail business in anywhere mm. in the city of Melbourne. And uh, and by the end of uh, January, they'd sold out. Wow. Sold every pair. Yeah. And, it, it, and you know, you could sense, you know, I could sense. I mean, I'm a apart from being a designer, I, I can understand marketing. And that's why, yeah, that's my, that's another. So the, obviously the thing. media started to get on board and, oh, yes. and the whole thing. Yes, kind yeah. Kind of snowballed. Yeah, yeah, and then we went on licence eventually with it. You know, went to another factory and another factory and had uh, two factories making. Then we went under a lot with licence to this one factory in Adelaide. Joe, at the peak, because, uh, you know, you were going right through the 70s, right through the 80s, well, you had shops everywhere. I mean, how many shops were there in the end? Melbourne, um, Sydney? What, when I sold Saba? Yeah. Uh, I sold, uh, you know, there was 23 stores. Yeah. Melbourne, mm. Sydney. Yeah, Perth. And the Perth was a franchise and Brisbane franchise. Joe, an interesting period probably for you and I think for a lot of people and a lot of listeners, is the early 80s and that yeah. whole Japanese from the... Well, the denim was very strong in the 70s. By the early 80s, there was a whole new aesthetic coming through. Yeah. Well, I became dis a bit disillusioned with denim, actually. In the late 70s? Yeah, the late 70s. There was all this, uh, you know, bubblegum stretch and the bad washes. Sounds and... like what I see every day now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the bad washes, and uh, you know, because I'm a I'm a more denim purist, you know, and I still am. I still I love, for you know, clean I, denim. I love clean denim and you know, really good washes. You know, I um, you know still uh, when I go to London, uh, yeah, I have my denim labels that I really focus in on, and there you know some of these labels you know Jap using Japanese denim. That is, their washes are just yeah. From some of the labels, is yeah. one called PRP, which is just fantastic. But it's basic. It's a five pocket west and it's a cowboy yeah. jean, but it's it's fantastic. So by the late seventies, but they're expensive. They're super yeah. expensive. But um, Joe, by the late seventies, they were becoming very faddish. Denim was just uh, yes, stretch. Yeah. Bubble, yeah, yeah. acid wash. Acid wash. And tacky. This, yeah, tacky. And so we started to travel, my wife and I, and we, uh, first time, second time we went away, we went to uh, Japan. And this was in 1974. And um, we uh, found this uh, little store in a building called Wise, which was Yoshi's store. And we found as in the letter Y. Yeah, letter yeah. Y apostrophe. Yeah, yes. stroke S. And we found Isimiyaki. and we became, you know, because the two in the one building. Yeah, yeah. They, well, the, yeah, yeah, because the you know, um, uh, you know, Japan, the buildings in Japan, they have a lot of different designers in the buildings in 
well, there still is. I mean, it's like uh, in Harajuku and... And so, so Yoji was there. Yoji was there, and Isimiyaki was there, and and the, you know what they were doing was you know different to to other form other you know parts of, of design within yeah. clothing. You know, ro- yeah, yeah, well, completely different. Yeah, deconstructed. Yeah, deconstructed. It was you know one size only, but but it you know. I mean, it was different shapes, and we'd never seen that before. So, and what was your impression? Just well, it was fantastic because I mean, it was not like any you know, not like uh, other other people were doing. I mean, the you know the the pants were wider than, mm. and the ja- you know and you know little dresses, but they yeah. weren't pulled in at the waist. Yeah. They were, you know. Everything skimmed the body, and and there like were sculpture. and there were, yeah sculpture. There were yeah. you know cut out pieces, and you know it was the start of this. You know, and for someone Joe who loves fabric, yeah, it must have been just an extraordinary experience. Well, Isimiyaki has always been yeah. I mean, when when Isimiyaki was was Isimiyaki, his fabrics were just. I mean, you know, a lot of you know, from master weavers, uh, you know, I mean... Joe, did just... you just get your order book out then and there and just say, or did you go away and think about it? No, no, well, it was only, you know, uh, my wife was buying for herself personally and they weren't, you know, we were starting... See, I um, I opened my first um, uh, import boutique in one, at 121 Turak Road and that was in... 78 or 79 and we start to buy these you know some different sort of clothes you know basically from from london you know and uh, body map uh body map we had but we had other things you know from chelsea market and we found you know uh, people that were doing artisan clothing uh sally me was a, a label that we bought and she was doing uh Bits out of uh, out of recycled fabrics, uh, you know, like furnishing fabrics and and yeah, and you know, and knitwear that was you know, and and you know, we just had this this small store at one two one. So it's like a testing ground. Yeah, testing ground, but we, but it was going very well, and then we start to buy. You know, we're always you know, very strong on knitwear, and. Um, the fact was that you know we start to buy in Paris, and we were the first to buy from Yoji Yamamoto, who first range he showed in Paris, and also Isimiyaki's first range he showed in Paris. What was? The, can you remember some of the pieces that you just thought? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean they were real artisan pieces. They were so small ranges, but uh, they were you know. And then, of course, the all the rest of the world and the Japanese. So we were in on the ground floor. We had Yoji Yamamoto, we had Isimiyaki, we had Comme de Garçon. And then we used to, kept up going to Japan and buying. We started to buy some of the domestic, Japanese domestic, what they call domestic lines, which aren't sold anywhere in anywhere else apart from in Japan. It's all very well to kind of 
uh, follow. But, you know, to have that vision in the late 70s and to take that risk must have been quite extraordinary. Well, it was. I mean, we were thought of as being crazy, mad, mad at when, first. Joe, when you started putting those things in the window, what was P- the reaction? People used to walk by, by and say, what's Joe Saba doing? <laughs> Where is, where's his mind at? <laughs> oh, I should be shot. <laughs> and it slowly obviously caught on with well, a different caught, audience. Well, it caught on. I mean, people start to want to buy... Yeah, because it caught on in in Europe and, you know, it came through to Australia because it was, you know, the Japanese explosion, you know, in in Europe that that happened in Europe and the States. And, you know, and that's... uh, It was interesting because I remember one year you bought quite a lot and I think you even, I think in a previous interview, you said, oh, you bought huge amounts and you really worried that it was going to sell... And I think it just sold out really in three weeks. And you were well, really... that was Izzy Miyake, and we opened 121 Turak Road with only Izzy Miyake mm-hmm. for two weeks. And we'd bought so much. And the first week, and this would, would have been um, in about, um, about 1980, we took $25,000 in about 1980, in that first week with Issey Miyake only. I mean, retailers today must be just so envious <laughs> because that just doesn't happen now. No, no, it doesn't. And, look, I don't think... It'll come back again well, to that extent. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and then, um, Joe, you went on to, after the 80s, um, you sold Saba in the early 90s? I sold in uh, '02. Oh, okay. So later, yeah, yeah. O two, and then you you could have just taken a complete rest from fashion completely, yeah. and then you started another label. Yeah, yeah. Called Nine. Called Nine, which then became Nine by Joseph Saba, and then became Joseph Saba. A knitwear label, basically. Well, I started out doing knitwear, but then I was told that by, by the marketers that I had to do a few other things. And so we start to do some woven production and, you know, and, um, you know, uh, that's, yeah. yeah. But it was a small wholesale, yeah. you know. I've never got back into retail. Um, you know, we hear a lot at the moment about, you know, retail being, you know, going through mm. huge problems. Yeah. And um, I was speaking to a number of people and they were saying that, you know, no one talks about the retail experience anymore. Uh, which I think is really important. I mean, you can attribute um, so much success to online and everything else that's taking yes, that. that. Yeah. But, you know, going into a Saba store then was really an experience. I mean, mm. the, the shop in uh, Burke Street. Yeah, the shop in Burke Street was... was oh, wonderful. Was, it just had so much atmosphere. and I mean, describe it, Joe. I mean, for those who can't remember it, not everyone had the privilege, but it was almost like going to the opera. Yes, yeah. Well, we, used to, <laughs> we had uh, Dahlia Muti, uh, an Italian lady that used to, you know, sell for us. Mm. And uh, she... Uh, you know, she used to love uh, opera and classical music, and we had this uh, these huge speakers, and and uh, we used to play all this music. And but the store was um, uh, about three thousand square feet, or huge, th- huge store. 
and it was space, you know, it was the, the typical uh, Japanese way of merchandising where we, you know, used to, um, you know, uh, put things on, on the rack and they used to be spaced in between each garment. So, the, you know, every, every piece in that store, you used to be able to see and every piece told a story. And it was... Um, it was like going to the opera. It yeah. was. You know, there was a sense of arrival, but it was also, mm. there was this wonderful tranquility. Mm. Walk through the store, it was really a sense of arrival. Mm. And from memory, very minimal detailing. Yeah. C- concrete washed walls, concrete floors. Yes. Very simple. Yeah, and we, you know, our displays used to be on tables. And, you know... They, you know, just two pieces placed on the table, and they, you know, you just, um, and you know, that's the way we merchandise the store because it was, you know, it had all the Japanese these Japanese labels in. It had, you know, Comme des Garçons, uh, Yoji, and then it had, you know, some other, you know, what are we call, you know, domestic Japanese lines in there, and it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Joe, it must be particularly hard now, with all your experience, going into a shop and not looking with a critical eye. Yeah. And I know things change and, yeah. you know, younger people have their own aesthetic and um, there's some great retailers out there who are doing wonderful things. Oh, there is. So, you know, I think there's quite a lot going on. But what do you look for when you walk into a store now? What are the things that you kind of... Is it, do you, is it the garment? Is it the lighting? Is it the mood? Well, it's mood. I mean, from a store yeah. perspective, it's mood. Um, you know, it's design. Uh, you know, store layout, store design, and how. And you know, is it done with feeling? Is it, you know, mm. is it has it got that sensibility mm. um, to the store? Do the people really have that? You know, that love. You know, mm. that you can. And you can tell. You can tell. You can tell when they they do love what they're doing, and it's not only the, you know, the matter of the business, but they've also got to love the business, and and you can tell that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, um, there's so much going on. I mean, yeah. all these stores with this, you know, fast fashion and yeah. and and all the, but I mean, there still is. I still think that there is. Some good, good yeah, fashion out there. Good fashion yeah. out there. Some very good fashion out there, and some good retailers out there. And I only hope that it sorts itself out. That you know, the retail, um, you know, online has its place, but also the retail. retail, you know, bricks and mortar retail stores have their place in in our market. The other thing that I think is interesting, we haven't really spoken a lot about, but, you know, you did a lot of designing, a huge mm. amount of designing. You did a number of ranges that complemented the Japanese labels, particularly mm. through the 80s. Mm. And you also worked closely with Robin Lyons, who yes. was on this show, a mm. uh, number of, um, and a wonderful woman. Um, how did you approach the design? How did you, how did you start working with the Japanese aesthetic? Well... It was more. F- I mean, we 
you know, we had to eventually, I had to phase out buying imports. Because you actually started, I think it got to a point imports, the dollar was so low. The dollar was, was terrible. The dollar, you know, it was the... Mid, you know, mid to late 80s? Well, it was the key, you know, yeah. I had to bring up, you know, politics yeah, in, no, no. in this. It was the Keating era when, you know, uh, exchange rates, uh, you know, I mean, plummeted. Um, the dollar know, was terrible. The dollar was terrible. Extra, you know, uh, interest rates were terrible. Late 80s? Yeah, that Late. was in, yeah, that was 80, 87, 88, 89. And I had to make a, you know, it was forced on me to make a decision um, because we had imports sitting there. And, you know, you'd have a garment that, that from one season, you know, uh, you know a jacket would be, Five hundred dollars, say. Yeah. Next season would be a thousand dollars, because the price of for buying from the supplier were you know were going yeah. up marginally. But our you know the dollar our, was so our dollar yeah. dropped to you know incredibly you know because of devaluation, and and you know as a, a business we just couldn't. Must you know, have been hard giving it up. It was, it was, but I, you know, I, uh, I never thought that I could, you know, actually do it. I had self doubts to do your that, own designs. Yeah, that I could ever, you know, do a hundred percent my own designs. Mm. I, you know, could do, des- you know, do a bit of designing to complement what I, what the other things mm. were buying overseas, but. I had was thrown in to uh, actually designing for the stores and, absolutely. and very well. Well, um, with with the experience of you know buying these labels and so on, uh, it taught me. <laughs> what are the things it taught you, Joe? Well, it taught me. It taught me you know how you know how to approach femininity and you know. For, you know, females and femininity, how to approach things for you know for men, and you know, and the two are yeah, the yeah. I mean, yeah. they're closer closer today, yeah. but yeah, in you know, back in the eighties, there were a bit of a division between. It's interesting. I mean, it, there was in the early eighties the very androgynous look, <clears throat> and so men were wearing women's clothes and yeah. vice versa, and then. Um, then towards the end of the 80s, it really got a bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> got very, you know, women started to become objectified, very yeah. fitted fitted yeah. garments, yeah. You know, which we're seeing today. Yeah. You know. mm. But we're also seeing, um, Joe, and I think you're probably seeing it as well, a real revival in that early 80s aesthetic yeah. coming through. Yeah. Mm. You know. So, um, so it is continually changing. Mm. Stepping back, are you... Uh, what's what's next for Joe? <laughs> We're just enjoying quietly time. Well, we uh, yeah we uh, clo- you know we I've, <laughs> we uh, have stopped um, manufacturing. You know, stopped making clothes mm-hmm. uh, six months ago. Um, yeah, we're we're online, and uh, I um, um, you know. Uh, with Marita, I, uh, the decision was made, and uh, I'd still like to be involved. I mean, I'm still, you know, mm. keep a, try to keep abreast of what's 
you know, what's ma- happening, what's in the market, and mm. and so on. I uh, I don't go into a lot of stores, but you know, I love magazines. <laughs> I love I love buying magazines and seeing what's uh, what's yeah what's showing and yeah. and um, yeah, I'd like to, uh, but. Um, uh, I'm uh, you know, presently out of a job. <laughs> well, I'm sure anyone listening would just ring you up tomorrow and say, Joe, please give us some advice. Mm-hmm. Joe, it's been an absolute treat having you here. Um, I think you've been such an important figure in, in fashion for not just Melbourne, but really for Australia. And um, it's been a pleasure having you on. So thanks so much for coming in today. Um, you've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure.